0: in our Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, we'll be reading for our text verses 12 through 16, what the Word of God can accomplish. And uh, we'll be spending the next uh, few Sundays kind of answering that phrase, what can the Word of God accomplish. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 12 through 16 says, for the Word of God is quick and powerful And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to Thee this morning. We thank You again for the privilege to be in Thy house And now, Father, as we take time to sit at Thy feet to hear Thy Word, I pray that each of us have hearts and minds that are open and yielded to the working of the Holy Spirit now with Your Word. That, Father, as believers are gathered here, we are seeking to be made Christ-like. The sanctifying process that You began when we trusted Christ is still at work. For Christ is being formed in us, and I pray that we are yielded vessels to that transformation. We thank you for that work, though painful at times, but, Father, necessary, that Christ may be seen in us. We pray for that soul that may be lost, draw them unto thee this morning. May they know the forgiveness that comes through trusting Christ as their Savior. Do that work we do, pray. We know that you will. We thank you that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish that which you've appointed. We pray that that would be the case for each of us, that we are yielded in thy hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we consider this, as we look at uh, the word of God and what it can accomplish, I thought it would do well to bring that up as uh, we look forward to, I trust, a good year of reading through the scriptures. Um, I take heart that uh, most of those Bible reading schedules are missing back there. Um, That's really just the first step. Um, Taking one is one thing. It's now opening it and uh, then putting forth the effort is quite the other, especially if we've not done it before. If you've not been a, a student of the Scriptures to consistently go through it every year, It can be a daunting thing, but as I've mentioned before, it is doable. Uh, I've been doing it. Say, well, you're the pastor. You should be. Well, yes, that's true. But I've been doing it. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago when we brought that up, I had a mother-in-law who was in her 70s when she was introduced to it. And she took it up and just went after it whole hog and uh, was a great encouragement to me many years ago. Uh, and, and getting that started for her and just seeing the joy uh, that came, that she was taking time to read through the scriptures and do it every year, year after year after year, and uh, others have as well. Uh, and again, it's, you don't have to use the schedule that I've put out there. If you have another reading schedule, they're fine. They're, they're all kind of created equal. It's getting us from Genesis to Revelation uh, in the course of a year, and there are all sorts of ways of doing that. Um, this is just one that I composed and is there. So I trust that we are because our adversary would love no more than for us to set our Bibles aside after we've been to church on Sunday and never pick it up again until the following Sunday. Because as we've read, it reminds us here the Word of God is quick, it is living, and it is powerful. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. God knows the distinction between the soul and the spirit within every person. I can't make that distinction. Many people think that those are synonymous words. And yet we find them noted like we have here, soul and spirit. There is a distinction. And uh, when we read through the scriptures and we consider ourselves, we find it hard to draw the line, if you will, between what is soul and what is spirit. I have often considered it and seen it as a dotted line because we can't make out. But God can. And His Word does. He does a work in us that is marvelous as we open it up and we read it for ourselves. We hear the preaching of the Word of God. And uh, it is what God uses to transform us. It's what brought us to Christ. Apart from the word of God, we're not coming to Christ. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It is the message of salvation that we find within its scriptures, within this text, that we do come to Christ. And it is our beginning point, and it is our ending point, if you will. Uh, because it is appointed unto man once to die, but after that the judgment. We'll meet God one day, because the Word of God tells us we will meet Him. And so from beginning to end, our life is about the Word of God. Um, It is our bread, it is our water, it is our all in all that we need for Christian living. And so what can it accomplish? What the Word of God does, as we look this morning, the Word of God convicts. That is probably the most obvious reason why people don't like to open it and read it or hear it preached. Because the Word of God brings conviction. And as we saw this morning in Sunday school with the stoning of Stephen, Stephen brought the Word of God to that synagogue, and they didn't like it. Why? Because it pricked them in the heart. It laid them bare before God, and they didn't like that. And in their, to me, deranged anger and hatred, they take Stephen out and stone him. Let's silence this voice that's giving us the Word of God and showing us for who we are. But it convex. Notice in Nehemiah chapter 8, there'll be a lot of passages. I don't know that I'll always give all the references, but a lot of passages to touch on this morning. Nehemiah chapter eight verse nine. In Nehemiah's day, after they have been building on the wall, uh, they've gathered themselves together to what? Read the word of God. And this is their response. "For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They were taken aback, if you will. I mean, yes, I think if we understand the context, many of these people probably hadn't been hearing the Word of God in their day. Jerusalem was in disarray. We know that from the beginning of of Nehemiah when some friends come to him and he asks, you know, how's Jerusalem? And it's a mess. Yes, it's a physical mess, but I think it's also indicative of it being a spiritual mess. I mean, what are the Israelites to do in that day? couldn't worship in the temple because the temple wasn't there their whole means of religious life had been turned over 70 years and more prior to that but here they have the opportunity to hear the word of god and they weep he doesn't tell us the reasons why but i'm sure there's several conviction Weeping for joy because they're hearing it again for the first time and who knows how long. But it stirs them. Josiah in his day were backing up several centuries, but again, if we know the story of Josiah, the young king who was put on the throne, in second chronicles chapter 34, verses 18 through 21, says, Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the law, that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah and Ahikam the son of Shaphan, and Abdon the son of Micah, and Shaphan the scribe, and Asaiah the servant of the kings, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah, concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that is written in this book. I think if you know the story and the account going through the Chronicles and Kings and and Samuel, you find that Josiah, as a, a, what, I believe, eight years old, is brought to the throne. He has an ungodly father and an ungodly grandfather. And if I remember the chronology correctly, the genealogy, it is his grandfather Messiah, uh, Manasseh who God said, that's it. Judah's going into captivity. And then Amnon and now uh, uh, Ammon and then Josiah. But uh, he, they find a scroll in the temple. They've not been using it for a while because of the wickedness of the previous kings. And they find this scroll, most likely it's at least of Deuteronomy, for it does talk about the curses for disobeying God, and it's read, and Josiah responds to it. It convicts him, because he realizes what was just described in the reading, our fathers have done. Which means God's wrath is going to be poured out on us. We need to seek God. Further on in the chapter, it says, Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests, and the Levites, and all the people, great and small. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which are written in this book. And he caused all that were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers, and Josiah took away all the abominations out of all the countries that pertained to the children of Israel, and made all that were present in Israel to serve, even to serve the Lord their God, all the and all his days they departed not from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. We know that God gave them a reprieve. Through hold of the prophetess, they let Josiah know that, yes, God's judgment is coming, but because you and these people have sought the Lord. God's withholding that judgment. It will spare your generation because you've sought me. Why? Because someone cleaning up the temple came across the scroll, the word of God, opened it and read it and brought it to the king. And if you will, though it is God's plan being unfolded, God gave them a reprieve. That going into captivity would not happen in Josiah's day. It was coming because God knows the end from the beginning. He knew that the the revival, if you will, would be short-lived. Succeeding generations would turn away. You find in the book of Acts in chapter 2, as Peter is standing there, Because of the coming of the Holy Spirit upon those 120? Jerusalem is stirred. And what does Peter get to do? That man who just a few days before is cowering in front of a maid, saying, I know not that man, is now standing on the temple grounds proclaiming the word of God. Preaching. A message of salvation. And what do we have as we come to the close of that? He says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know, verses 36 and 37 of chapter 2, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, What shall we do? You see, the Word of God does convict. The Holy Spirit uses it to bring conviction, to show the need. How do we respond to that conviction? Thankfully, we see in these instances people yielding and acknowledging and getting things right. Yet again, coming back to Acts chapter 6, you find another group in a synagogue hearing their history, hearing the Word of God, if you will, and yes, I believe being convicted, but rejecting the conviction, resisting it. To the point of stopping their ears, gnashing their teeth. I don't think they chewed on Stephen, but they just grit their teeth. They were so taken with rage over what they heard and knew that it was true. Because if it wasn't true, there would be no reason to get upset. But they knew their fathers had rebelled against God in the day. And these were probably some of the same people that may have been in Jerusalem when Christ was crucified, knew what was done, and were part of it. And they didn't want to hear the truth. So they silenced the one who was giving them the truth. That's the hard part, I think, at times, because we live in a, in a generation that by and large doesn't want to hear the truth. But does that stop us from giving the truth? It should not. Because it is what they need. And may we pray and seek the Lord that he would change their hearts. That they would accept what is being done in their lives and help them to understand because you know, if they don't know the word of God and know what's going on, we need to help them understand, yeah, that, that queasiness, that unsettledness, that distraughtness that you have. Yeah, that's God using his word to convict you and convince you of the truth of his word. Take it as a good thing. Listen to the rest of the message. Christ died for your, in your place for that sin that you are so distraught about. And come to him. The word of God corrects as well as it convicts. Psalm 17, verse 4 says, Concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips have I have uh, get the order right. Concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips I have kept me from the paths of this destroyer. The Word of God has kept the writer from the the paths of the destroyer. We want to know the direction we want to go. We need to know. He corrects us. Timothy tells us that as well. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. But it sets us on the right path. We don't always know the right path to take. God does, and it sets us on it. He uses his word to take us that way. It keeps us from error. It's amazing how if we are attentive to allowing God, using his word in our hearts, to change us. It is the hardest thing, I think, at times to say, you know what, my thinking was wrong. And God has helped to, see, to show me the truth. In Acts chapter 18, verses 24 and 26, we find such a case. It says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. He knew the word of God, but he didn't know all of it. He didn't know the rest of the story. Pardon me, Paul Harvey. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue Whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Thank God for Aquila's and Priscillas who will come alongside people and help them understand there's more. It wasn't necessarily that Paulus was teaching error, but he wasn't teaching the full body of Scripture. No fault to his own. We don't know the reasons, but obviously he heard of John the Baptist in his preaching. Maybe he was there in that day, but he left, obviously, the area and did not know of the working of Christ. That that forerunner, John the Baptist, yes, was preparing the way. Well, Apollos, guess what? That Messiah that John talked about has come and gone. And they were able to set him aside and and teach him and instruct him in that way. And he was willing to take the instruction. It's interesting how Luke puts these two together. But in chapter 19 of Acts, Paul does very much the same thing with a different group of people. Verses 1 through 7, it says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, after having been instructed by Aquila and Priscilla, he then crosses over from Ephesus and goes to Corinth. And Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? They said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Under what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. So again, we find another group of people that had been taught According to John the Baptist, and they needed further instruction and gladly received it. It does correct, it is there to help us further understand what God has for us. May we never assume or think that we've arrived at our understanding of the Scriptures. I would be very leery of anyone that would say, listen to me, I know everything. I've got all the answers. I have it figured out. We all are constantly learning and growing in Christ likeness. We will be complete when we stand in His presence. Until then, we are all works in progress. From the pastor to the newest born believer, we are all still growing in Christ, still learning, still maturing, growing in Christ likeness. The Word of God cleanses as well. What a joy to know that. The psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 9 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? And I don't want to do disrespect to the Scriptures, but wherewithal shall an old man? Or a middle-aged man? Or women? I think we're using the word in a more universal way. But how shall we cleanse our ways? By taking heed thereunto according to thy word. The word of God is what cleanses us. Psalm 1 verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Love Psalm 1 to give that distinction between the two paths that are before us. It's very graphic, if you will. May we never forget that. Our delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law doth He meditate day and night. We will be blessed immeasurably when the Word of God is our focus. It cleanses us. It can prevent fearful thoughts. Jo- Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, as God speaks to Joshua. I think it is very instructive for chapter 1, for Joshua. God is very blunt with him, if you will. Moses, my servant, is dead. You can't get much blunter than that. But I think it's to drive that home to Joshua. Joshua has lived all those years not in the shadow of Moses in a bad way. He was in a good way. He was Moses' servant. He gladly served there. But that man whom he had served with is gone. We can't look back at him. We can't rely on him. He's gone, Joshua. the reins have been given to you now. You are to lead this people into the promised land. But he says in verse 8, I think, again, a great encouragement. We see those words there a lot in that passage. Be of good courage. He says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, And then thou shalt have good success. Joshua, meditate on the word of God. You're concerned about what's unfolding. You're now the leader of this vast group of people. These people that you have watched for the last 40 years in rebellion against God. Joshua, you watched, in essence, your generation die off because they refused to enter the promised land when they had the opportunity to. The promised land that you recognized God had given to you and would give to you. I mean, we we often I often wonder about Joshua and Caleb, what were they thinking for 40 years? While their friends rebelled against God. Because they understood the promise. God will go before us. Those people in the land, they're nothing to God. And now they have to wait for that generation to die off. Before they become recipients, if you will, of what God had promised to them. But he reminds him here on that threshold, keep the word of God in your heart, meditate upon it. Keep it before you because then you're going to be prosperous and you're going to have good success. Here's the key to leading these people into the promised land. Meditate on the word of God. Know it. If allowed, our whole thought life can be established biblically. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. We find those things in the scriptures, do we not? Things that are true. We find it in the scriptures. Honest in the scriptures, just. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 10, Peter notes this, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Do we see these things going on in our lives? Are we actively working at seeing these things happen? We should. He's calling us to do so. God would never call us to do something that is impossible for us to do. He's the one that takes care of the impossible, not us. And so I trust that we see these things accomplished by taking time to read God's Word. It cleanses us. What a joy. God's Word confirms. One thing I learned years ago and has been always settled in my mind... When we do things, we'd better have scriptural support for it. Because we have an adversary that is going to question why we did what we did. And if God has used his word in our hearts to settle it, We can bring the word of God to that doubt and say, here's why. Much like Christ used in his temptation. What did he use to combat the temptation of Satan? The word of God. When we make decisions in our lives, it needs to be confirmed with the word of God. Not go searching for scriptures to justify what we're doing, but having God use His Word to show us that that's the right thing to do. Notice what Christ said to His disciples in chapter 8 of John, verse 31. Then said Jesus unto those Jews which believed on Him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. The Word of God confirms our salvation. John chapter 5, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. The Word of God confirms the hand of God in all of our life. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. What a comfort to know that. And I think I've said it in the past. If I haven't, then I am now, and we'll hear it often. May we use that verse in all events of our lives. We often give that verse to someone who has had adversity, a hardship. A loved one has passed away. A calamity has happened. Well, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Yes. But it also works when God blesses them. Give them that verse, too. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. It's useful for all aspects of life as we realize God is the one at work. And those things are working out for our good, regardless of whether we think they're good or not. God is at work with it. God's Word equips. Proverbs 22, verse 21, "...that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth." That thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. Of course, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it equips us. And all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for the teaching, for reproof. Yeah, it steps on our toes sometimes, it shows us where we're wrong. For correction. It doesn't do just that. It also shows us the right way to go. That's the wrong way. That's the wrong thing. Here's the right thing to do. If you will, called the principle of replacement. God shows us the wrong, but he also shows us what the right thing is, so that we don't wonder, well, if that's not what I'm supposed to do, if that was wrong, then what do I do so that I don't do that again? Well, here. Walk ye in this way, for instruction in righteousness, as we continue, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That word perfect means being complete, mature, not like we think of the word perfect. He does complete us, he equips us. The Word of God equips us for evangelism. Love the account of Philip in Acts chapter 8. He's been in Samaria, has seen a great working of the Word of God in the hearts of the Samaritans. And many have come to Christ. And in the midst of this great blessing, of this great working, God says, Philip, it's time for you to go to the desert. So we pick it up in verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go south and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Get out of the hustle and bustle of the towns. And I want to take you out into the wilderness where there isn't anybody. Thankfully, Philip doesn't seem to question this. I'm sure the question is running through his mind. I mean, it would, I would almost have to think it would have to be. Why am I going on the road down from Jerusalem, down to the seaside, toward Gaza? there's there's nothing down there why why would we want to go there but he doesn't question he goes and he arose and went why because there's an appointment that god knows about and behold a man of ethiopia a eunuch of great authority under candace queen of the ethiopians who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to his chariot. What an interesting story here. Why? God has a man that is ready for salvation. It's a question that I know will never be answered, but I often have wondered. Why didn't anybody reach him in Jerusalem? It tells us he's coming from Jerusalem. He's a Jewish proselyte of sorts. Because of his physical nature, he could not be a full Jew. I'll leave it at that. But he's been to Jerusalem to worship. Well, this is Acts chapter 8. Where? Where are the believers? In Acts chapter 8, well, they just got scattered, but there are believers there. The apostles were still there. But he wasn't reached in Jerusalem. Now, I'm not blaming anybody, it's just he wasn't reached in Jerusalem. He's an Ethiopian, therefore, I dare say he's probably very dark skinned, seen as an outsider. He's different than the rest of us. Who knows? But the message for him was not there. It was on the road back to Ethiopia by Philip, one of the first deacons. God told him to go near and join the chariot. And Philip ran thither and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest what thou readest? I mean, obviously he was reading it aloud for Philip to hear. And so he asked the question, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Do we not see a a great invitation to talk about Christ? Is it a coincidence that this Ethiopian Uh, At this point in his journey, happens to be reading what we know as Isaiah 53. Now, we don't know if the Ethiopian had the whole Isaiah scroll. I think from the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Isaiah scroll, I think, is something like 65 feet long. but he at least has a portion of it that is what we know as Isaiah 53, and he just happens to be reading it. God had an appointed place at an appointed time for his man to be able to instruct a man who is reading the Scriptures, is curious about the Scriptures, and is wanting to know. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same Scripture and preached unto him, Jesus what an opportunity that it gives for evangelism we can point others to Christ by the Word of God it equips for counseling others 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 6 if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. Second Timothy chapter 2, 2. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We counsel with the word of God. It's the best counsel we can give, is the word of God. Not men's ideas and men's opinions, the word of God. It equips us to serve Him, to help each of us grow. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, he states, And He gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, we don't have apostles today. We have their writings in the Word of God, yes. Prophets, we have their writings in the word of god yes we don't have prophets today in the sense of a uh, fortune telling or f- future telling that's all complete we have proclaimers of the word yes and pastors and teachers or i would take it much as many do that's that's one office their pastor teacher why do we have them for the perfecting of the saints for the equipping of the saints. We have the word of God. We have its exposition. We have its preaching to equip us. For the perfecting of the saints. Why? So that they can do the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Sounds like we have our work cut out for us, don't we, as a church? That's what we're here to do. To see that we're equipped to do the service that God would have us to do. To prepare one another. To perfect the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure, of the stature, the fullness of Christ. None of us have made it there. The stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ's likeness in its greatest clarity. Like I said, we have our work cut out for us. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. There's a lot there, yes. The church's work is never finished. Because we have a work of seeing Christ seen in each of us in his clarity. And if we are honest with ourselves, we would have to admit he's not as clear as he could be for Christ to be seen in us. So may we be there ready to have our fellow believers help us in our maturing process. Because that's why we're here. The Word of God accomplishes all of this. He does it in us and through us. What the Bible teaches, that is a lifelong endeavor to learn. God desires that we all partake of His Word daily. So again, I ask us, are we witnessing daily what God can accomplish with His Word in us? The psalmist, in Psalm 119 said, open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. We don't know who that psalmist is. Psalm 119 is an, is an unnamed one. Spurgeon thinks it's David. I would tend to think so, based on what we just see there. But I'm not going to be dogmatic on it. Regardless of who it was, it was someone who knew the Word of God in its fullness, in its joy. And all he had was portions of the Old Testament. We have the completed book, all 66 books. May that be our heart's cry as we open up the Word of God, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Open mine eyes. Open my heart. The word of God can accomplish much. We may be frightful of it at times, scared. But there's nothing to be frightful about when God is at work. It's a good thing. It will change us, yes. But change us for the better. May we be accepting of that as we open his word and behold what he has for us. What can God's Word do? It can do a lot. It does convict. It does cleanse. It does all these things. Is it doing it in our lives today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for thy Word. I pray that it truly is a part and parcel of our lives. That, Father, we don't just read it, but we then meditate on it, Father, that you bring it back to our hearts and minds through the course of the day, that we are able to ponder its truths, be strengthened and encouraged, convict and convinced, cleansed, as we allow God the Holy Spirit to use it in our hearts. To change us, to ultimately mold us into Christ's likeness, that Christ would be seen in us. And Father, it does start with Thy Word and our willingness to open and read it, to hear it preached, to be in Thy house, to be around our fellow believers so that we can be edified, built up. Father, I pray that that would be our commitment. To you and to one another. And then to see you at work in ways that we would never think possible, but that you are. Your word accomplishes much when we are yielded vessels in your hands. So Father, I pray that we would be that this morning. Father, where necessary, may you correct. May you apply that balm of Gilead to bring healing where there's hurt. May you instruct us in the teaching of thy word that we may know the truths that are here so that we would not be tossed about with every wind of doctrine. We would know thy word. Would know the error when it comes. Do that work now with thy word. And Father, truly may Christ be seen in us as we go from this place this morning. In Jesus' name.